Welcome back, everyone, to the Reflex Blue Show. I'm your host, Donovan Beery, and I have with me Stefan Bucher. Bucher? Bucher? Stefan Bucher. Now, Stefan, you were like, you you were one of our first guests on the Reflex Blue Show. We are discussing, you, you were in Concordia, Paul Burke Bigler brought you in, 10 years ago, probably around this time, too. Yeah. Or true. around the time of our recording. You know, right. This will go out, like, in a few weeks. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Paul brought me out to Concordia in Seward, and we painted a monster mural over a number of days. I have an update on your mural. Oh, yeah? So, I, I don't know if you've ever heard anything about it since. I know it's down. Okay, so, I want to say... I, I want to say it was either right after we we had our child or while we were expecting the child. My niece had opened up a like children's secondhand consignment store in Seward. And we were driving through that area, and so we're like, let's stop by and see it. By coincidence, we actually went to the other children's consignment store because we didn't know there were going to be two of them. And it was not actually her store. But when I looked up, I was like, this sign looks familiar on the building, only it was just like painted pink and had like, I don't know, vinyl letters over the top of it. And I think that was your monster sign. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's been it's been tilted and repurposed as a consignment store sign? Had been. Had yeah. been. Okay. Had, that, that is, and that is where I kind yeah. of left it like five years ago or so. Oh, cool. So... There's a, there's a Meet the Pros. I'm pretty sure this was the event. A lot of student portfolio reviews. You kind of forget exact when you when you go to them or whatnot. Yeah. But I want to say it was about a year ago, last month or so. I'm at I'm I'm reviewing student books, which which I think we should all do. Agree. And we're flipping through, and your monster murals in this book, just sitting there. No kidding. Yeah, and I'm like. Well, this student's graduating, and you were here, you know, at the time would have been like nine years yeah. before. So obviously this student had not been going to the Concordia program for nine years, I, I would hope. I would <laughs> yes, hope. Yes, indeed. Right. I mean, there might have been a drop-off after Paul left, but hopefully it, <laughs> hopefully it's not to that level. Cause that's, right. And so I asked, I'm like, because students put weird stuff in their book, but I'm like, this Stefan's monster mural? Like, like this was, like, were you not on? And she said that, I believe someone had basically re-gotten a hold of the sign, taken it down, and because because it was all, like, raised ink, and I think, I think whatever it was, they just painted it, like, solid. Right. I believe she sat there and recreated the painting over the top of it, like, restored it. No kidding. And I believe she said it is hanging up inside somewhere. Wow. So they brought it into like a permanent area. Oh, that's so great. That's cool. So you are now at the level that they're restoring <laughs> they're restoring works right. of Stefan. Nice. Not not just painting them over anymore. That's fantastic. And there's a tradition to that with that particular piece because we painted it over the course of three days. It was I mean, I'd done the design because you know we also needed to run it by the powers that be to make sure that it was cool and everything. And then the students and I painted it over over three days. And it was like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then we're going to put it up on a Saturday. And on Saturday morning, Paul picks me up at the, at the bed and breakfast, drives me over, and says, oh, you know, people have been working on the mural all night. I said, what are you talking about? We finished it up last night. 
Well, some of the townspeople came in overnight. And I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, what are you talking about? What? Did, and I'm thinking, did they did they change something? Were there things that they found objectionable? What's the going on? The word Burt Ward was very objectionable. It was. By the Joker contingency. <laughs> it was, absolutely. Well, and that's if you have, you know, to, to those of your listeners who haven't seen it, because it wasn't Seward, we put up all these words that were like forward, dream word, everything that was sort of a riff on Seward, and then also Burt Ward. But yeah, so they'd come in, and I was like, "What? what's going on? And what it was is there was a contingency of painters that had come in the day before, like house painters. And they had just sort of toured our little facility, as several of the townspeople had. They were kind of filtering through and just watching us work. And they had apparently taken exception to our paint coverage. And they came in after we left Friday night and worked all night and just put on a second coat of paint because they said, you know, this is going up in our town. We want this to be as vibrant and solid as possible. And they they just, they, they kind of restored it before it was ever even mounted. So that piece has been worked on by a lot of people over a lot of hours. It's now, great. Now, it's very possible that I completely dreamed this all up and it didn't happen. But it's very <laughs> possible what you said we dreamed up. But, but yeah, this, this thing has taken on a life of its own, I guess. I guess so. I would love if anybody is near the thing now. I'd love to see photos, or if anyone can actually collaborate. What I believe I remember, right? Right. You know, it was it was a student event. I could have been on something, <laughs> or on multiple items, or them. Yeah. So that would be great. And and if anyone has an actual location, let us know. What a story! I, yeah, I and I just saw Paul uh, last week in Wisconsin. So. Oh, yeah. And I'm still in touch with a number of the students that that worked on the mural with me. And just yesterday at the AJ Nebraska talk, a young woman came up, Ashley, who said that she saw me 10 years ago in Seward when I gave the talk there, when she was 15, and got her monster book signed, and she's a graphic designer now. Oh, wow. And everything. So I don't know that there's a direct line between the two things, but... You know, I would like to think any time I would go speak somewhere, and I've spoken a few things, everyone who sees it says, well, if that guy can do it, obviously, <laughs> obviously it's not real hard. There you go. Well, as my, as my dad was fond of saying, nobody's truly useless. They can always serve as a bad example. <laughs> and that's my ambition in life. Yeah, yeah. No, no you spoke here in, in Omaha last night. It, it was great. And it was great to see, see you know, because part of it, the first part, you showed stuff that, you know, I remembered you talking about before. So it was like... Kind of a recap. Hey, remember, mm -hmm. remember the, the great work you've done. And then it was like the new stuff where it's like just came out and some of it I've been seeing because I've been following online. But it's it's just fantastic. The presentation presentation's always good. Works fantastic. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We'll be right back and then we'll talk about your new project, the Letterheads. Yes. Okay, I'm I'm sorry. It's not the Letterheads. It's just Letterheads. It's Stefan G. Buecher's Letterheads, an eccentric alphabet. So it is. Yeah. So what was, so this is a new book. It's currently on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Well, if you really want to help me out, go to letterheads.xyz and buy it there. Okay. Because then it comes directly from Unnamed Press, my publisher in Los Angeles. Oh. 
And and you've even you've even got a music video to promote it. Yeah. The whole works. Oh yeah. No, I had um I did some work over I've done some work for, over the last few years for Wesley Stace, who's a singer songwriter, used to go by the name of John Wesley Harding. And when the book came out, I thought it'd be a cool chance to collaborate. I've done a music video for him. I've done some posters for him. I, now, I, I watched the music video this morning. Yeah. I assume, based on your whole, it was on your website, based on the whole case study on it, mm -hmm. it, it sounded like um, it was quite a bit more work than initially expect. Oh, yes. And so you probably, you said, maybe you owe me, maybe you owe me a song. It wasn't even that. I mean, I, I love doing that video. Okay. And, um, well, it shows. It would never look like that if you didn't love doing it. It was it was a crazy amount of work. It was a rotoscope video that sort of my pitch to him was that I that he deserved to get the same treatment as Aha did for Take on Me, you know, just just to make a really hip of the moment music reference. And he was like, "Yes, I agree." And it took about it took about six months. We actually we actually made a trade where I designed his London show poster, and in exchange, he wrote me a song, and I think I got the better part of the deal. Because it's a ridiculously catchy song uh, about the letterheads. And I got 20, 30 of my friends to mime the words, to be in the music video. Yeah, it's been really fun. And what, what was the whole inspiration for the letterheads, for those listeners out there? So the book is an alphabet of characters that I sculpted in a program called ZBrush. So it's basically sculpting in clay, but on screen. So they're 3D characters, 3D letter forms that also have faces, lots and lots of hair, which turns turns out to be very, very helpful for serifs and big swooshes and such. The idea came to me, well, I, I encountered the program uh, at a conference where I was speaking where I also saw a talk by Neville Page, who was the creature designer for the new Star Trek movies and for Avatar. Sure. And he gave this demo that just made it look very easy and super impressive. I'm like, wow, I got to get in on this. I got the program, immediately just belly flopped on it, and then made one smart choice, which was to hire a student to help me through the kind of beginning pains of opening a document and making it so that I could sculpt something. And then just went nuts on it as I, as I do with things. I like a good serial project, so it was similar in evolution to the monsters, to the Daily Monster Project, of just playing around for a while. And then very quickly the idea came to me of doing letters that are also characters. By the way, I was the name Letterheads isn't mine. I initially wanted to call it A B C D E F George and this anthropomorphic alphabet. Right, right, right. And then I sent that to Stephen Heller and Stephen said, Yeah, that's a stupid name. You should call it Letterheads. And he probably sent that back before you even thought you hit the word send. That that dude replies to emails faster than anyone I've ever met. Yes, and of course, it, you know, I would send it at two o'clock in the morning, and then it would come back at four because we we almost overlap. Oh, okay, okay. So between you two, I mean, we got twenty four hours of design genius. Almost oh, it's twenty two now. <laughs> well, we have twelve hours of design genius with Steve, and then we have me. Oh well, you know, I'm, just take the compliment. I'll, I'll, that's <laughs> Thank that's you. what you're getting. So. But he's, yeah. I, I guess if I guess if Stephen Heller tells you something's bad and gives you something that's good, you should probably just you're smart to take the advice. That was exactly it. Where I'm like, yeah, I'm not arguing with it. That's absolutely correct. Let's do that. <laughs> so so then so then you're like, 
I, I obviously this needs to be a book. Yes. Well, it, it needed to be something, and I was trying to figure out what to do with it. And of course, the book thing is always my first my first inclination is right. Let's make a beautiful book out of it. I also hope that it'll end up being sculptures and it'll be toys. And I looked into that as well. Uh, oh, because I assume this program you could probably export it out yes. as, as a 3D printer or whatever. Yeah, I've already, the A is already printed. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so these are all, um, I can export these as STL and object files. So I can make these at any size in any material, basically. But I know how to get a book made. Right. And so I was like, let's start with a book. Like, this is the, this is the Letterhead's manifesto. And... I also wanted. I also like the challenge of having 3D characters in a 2D space and how to translate that in a way that would be understandable as a 3D object. So the way it works is that you have the front of the letter on the right-hand pages, and then when you flip the page, you actually have the back of that letter. And so the idea is that when you flip it, it really feels like you're looking at something in 3D, even though it's in a in a flat book. Yeah, because I guess I guess if you didn't tell me, or if, if you didn't do that, it would be very... Like, I'm looking at the cover of the book now, and I see the A. That could have been just painted in Illustrator and not actually be a 3D rendered object. There wouldn't be a way to to kind of get that, get that across, other than your end pages where you actually show them completely rotating. Right. And that's... I was going to point out, that's the thing with the end, with the end sheets, is to... That you do see a 360-degree turn on them. So that if you come to the book cold, if you don't know anything about it, you go, oh, did he just paint the front and the back? That's interesting. And then you go, hopefully you would connect it with the end sheets and go, oh, hang on a second. These are actually fully 3D. And that's, it's a little bit of a trade-off. I mean, I would love it to be, you know, a book where you open it up and it just somehow magically contains Doctor Who technology and... You could just reach in, or it's the the you know Fantastic Beast suitcase, and you could just take the letters out. But pending that technology, I wanted to figure out a way of showing the three Dness of it all again in that in that flat space. Is it really pending that technology, or are you once again trying to hide the fact that you've done time traveling? <laughs> Please hush. Because we don't want to get in trouble. Because you've got multiple exhibits and pieces about you know that that. Hint that, that you may have uh, been involved in time travel. I can neither confirm nor deny. I, I will get in serious trouble. I will I will be sucked into a time okay. vortex if I say any more. But yeah, you may be referring to the Echo Park time travel mart in Los Angeles that I helped set up in this time period. And I also did a, a show of my life's work from 1985 to the year 2075. And yes, there's there are several time travel things that, of course, are purely simulated <laughs> and not real. Right. I I in absolutely in no way do I know the future or can I time travel? And I just want to I want to just uh, go against these baseless rumors that have no no basis in fact whatsoever. I am not a time traveler. Now, what was the now? Now you mentioned in your talk that there's the company behind the the time travel mart, and there's a couple of them in the world. Mm -hmm. They actually, and I, I remember seeing this work before. And you've done you've done the, the time travel mart where it sells items um, for time travelers, mm -hmm. and then there's there's the uh, 
a couple other stores. Is it for the same company? Yeah, so there are two in Los Angeles. There's the Echo Park Time Travel Mart and the new branch, the Mar Vista Time Travel Mart. And I designed all the products initially. There are now other designers involved as well, but um, I designed the original lineup of products for the Echo Park Time Travel Mart, designed their logo and everything. So what it is, is this is part of 826 National, which was set up by Dave Eggers, the novelist, as a as tutoring centers for at-need kids. So homework help, creative writing exercises, that sort of thing. And their original property was on 826 Valencia in San Francisco, and it was zoned for commercial use. So they couldn't put a community center there. They had to have a store. That's the part I'd never heard before. I'd, I always love these stores, but I'm like, how long are they going to be in business? You know, I'd stop by if I was there, but it's kind of like, it's not like you go back and, you know, refill your time traveling needs. Right. So, so it was, it was interesting. I, I, there's so many different type of companies. So it was just like they needed a commercial front. Right. Because of zoning laws. Right. Because of zoning, they needed a store. But they have the great insight that they didn't need a successful store. And so they opened the Pirates, the pirate Supply store where you could get parrots and peg legs and you know, <laughs> cannonballs and rapiers. And then that became the model for other stores across the country. So there's the Brooklyn Superhero Supply Company. There is a space travel store in Seattle. And in... Los Angeles, we have the Time Travel Mart, which is like a 7-Eleven for time travelers. And I took it on, and they, they asked me, based on a recommendation from Sam Potts, who had done the store in New York, they asked me if I wanted to do a product line, and I said, I don't want to do a product line, I want to do all of this stuff. Yeah. So I branded the entire store, did the logo, did the whole thing, and it's been absolutely fantastic, and it's such a great, it, the store and all the stores are fundraising machines. So all the products are for sale. You can get a big, like a five-pound can of mammoth stew. You can get a, a jar full of leeches, nature's tiny doctors. And all the money that you pay for the products goes to fund the tutoring for the kids. Okay. Now, that's fantastic. Has that been one of the best projects you've, you've ever gotten to work on? Or? Absolutely, yeah. That's definitely that's definitely top, top five or top ten. The thing is that I've had, I'm, I'm blessed that I've had a lot of really great projects. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of the ones that I've also stuck with the longest and I just still, you know, I still love. And then the other one, the other one that, that obviously has to be in that top five is, is the Yeti. Yes. Yeah, I designed a Yeti for Saks Fifth Avenue in New York because somebody in their, in their creative department asked the question, we project these snowflakes falling off the side of the building every holiday season. Who makes that snow? And they came up with the idea that there's a Yeti living on the roof of Saks Fifth Avenue. And they came to me to illustrate that Yeti. And that led to, first, to a big plush animal of this really wonderful kind of neurotic, shy Yeti who is fully on board with the holidays, but it's just very withdrawn and is a little bit like, oh, hey, happy, happy holidays. <laughs> Um, and that led to me writing his origin story for a book, and then that was developed. The book was developed into the holiday storefront on Fifth Avenue, with animatronics and the whole the whole nine yards. And you said this was one you didn't even realize. You were telling us at lunch you didn't even realize that they were doing a storefront until you got you saw a press release. Yeah, because they really they just took the book 
and turned it into the store windows. It was wonderful. It was like a crazy, crazy surprise. And they did an amazing job of it. They did a wonderful job with it. It's, I mean, it's, it was so true to the drawings. And for the backgrounds, they took a lot of the stuff just straight out of the book. They just blew it up, printed it out, mocked it up, and put it on the wall. But the characters, they just got them exactly right. It was just a marvel to see. Yeah. Well, it's fantastic. We're going to be right back with uh, Stefan. All right, you mentioned, you mentioned you're working on a bunch of stuff you can't talk about because of NDAs. So right. I just want to ask, like, young people and stuff, like, like non-disclosure agreement, mm-hmm. when you get them, like, like when, when does a client bring that up? Like, like just useful advice for a kid. Like, if, if, do they bring that up in a meeting? Do you just sign immediately, or do you actually think about it? Do you read it through? Do you ever say, like, I'm not even going to sign that? Like, what's, it, what's your take on this? It usually comes up before the first meeting. I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that I work on, I have to sign a non-disclosure agreement before I even come in to meet with anybody. I did have one of those. The client's like, we want you to sign this before we meet with you. And I'm like, that's fine. Like, I looked at it. It was pretty generic. Yeah, and that's usually what it is. I mean, you read through it, and it, depending on who's sending it to you, it can sound pretty intimidating. But it's fine. I mean, it's just they have intellectual property to protect, and there are things where you're racing to market, possibly against competitors. you got to just make sure that that's all secure. And I've made people sign non-disclosure agreements on stuff that I'm working on, you know, because there's show pitches and intellectual property involved that can't just go out there. So I think it's perfectly fair. What I've run into recently from an agency that works on movie titles is that they had a non-disclosure agreement that they sold, or they, they said, well, we need you to sign an NDA. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. I sign them all the time. In the NDA, hidden in the back was a, non-dis- uh, was a non-compete clause. Oh. That I couldn't work for any other movie title company for three years or any of their clients. Now, their clients were all the major studios. Yeah. And so I called them. I said, hang on a second. Is this a mistake? Because the way I'm reading this, if I sign this, then I can't work for any of the major studios Unless it's through you. And they're like, yeah, and? And I'm like, well, that's ludicrous. So you're saying if two years and 11 months from now, somebody calls me and says, hey, I want you to do the titles for my movie, I have to go, oh, I'm sorry, I have to ask blank for permission? And they're like, yeah. And I said, that's ludicrous. I'm not signing that. Three years is a long time. It's a long time. And I, and I actually wanted to work on the movie that they had, and which they disclosed to me because they thought I'd already signed. And uh, it's like, oh. I like Robert De Niro. I would like to do this. But then I saw that. I'm like, that's, that's crazy. And I said, listen, I'll offer you six months. I'll, do, I'll sign it for six months. Yeah. And they're like, well, we have to think about this. And then they called the next morning. The, the head guy called and said, well, I've been thinking about this. And I'm just really disturbed that you wouldn't want to sign this agreement. So that indicates to me that you want to poach our clients. I said, do you know how I work? I sit in my living room and people slide assignments under my door. <laughs> I don't go out and hustle for this stuff. You know, it's just, I'm weird. And when people need my particular brand of weird, they come find me. But yeah, it was very, very strange. And I asked around a little bit. And there are a number of companies that have this sort of clause now. And so 
I would say be aware of that because NDA is fine. Non-compete is a whole different ball of wax. I've, I've got a couple where, where my first job got hired to do the, the website for the railroad here. And I had to sign a non-compete for a year for their direct competitors. But there's only one direct competitor. Right. So I was like, oh, so I won't work for one other company in the whole world. Like, so that, right. like, that one wasn't a big deal. I understood right. it. And it was like, I think it was also expired within a year, yeah. if not. And then I had another lady that um, I think I think um, had gotten burned by somebody else, like all of a sudden showing the work that was done for her on their website. And so it was like everyone that works for me needs to sign these non-competes. And I realized, I'm like, some of the people listed on your clients' list are people I'm working with now. And so I was like, like your other clients, I don't care about them. They're in a different state. They're in a different industry I work with. But I go... But a couple of these are kind of my clients as it is. I can't not do work for them. And so I actually, they just wrote in the margins, like, excludes these clients, you know, that you're already working with. And then I was like, that's fine then. I'll sign right. that. Yeah, and the, the showing other people's work in your portfolio is a, is a thing that I see all the time where, and I see it more in advertising portfolios. And... There's a reason for it where everybody who's sort of been near it claims it as their own. It's like, oh, and I, and I always ask, well, what did you do on this? And it would be, oh, well, I was the production assistant, or I worked on the color grading on this, or I worked on the sound editing. And that's fine. That's totally fair. Yeah. It's just that it just has to be explained that way. Yeah, which, which, is, which is all good. Yeah. What, what are the reasons that companies put you in these non-disclosures where you think are completely legit? Like, which are the ones where you're like, oh, I completely get it? Oh, there's, I mean, obviously there's music work and film work that has to do with unreleased product that they want to release at a certain time in a certain way, and it can't be put out before that. That's totally legitimate. I do a lot of technology work these days that deals with proprietary technology that's kind of mind-blowing. Oh, sure. And that is where there are startups involved, where there are funding rounds involved. So there's all that kind of stuff to consider. That tends to be the most of it. Now, do, are they normally set up where, where it's non-disclosure, but like once it launches, you can say that you worked on it? For, Absolutely. Or I know sometimes there's always non-disclosure like forever. And those normally, the, the rule of thumb is that you just charge more. Yes. And that's the work that I do for ad agencies. There's a lot of branding work that, I, that I've done that I can never show, that I can never talk about, just because I'm subcontracting for agencies at a stage that's exploratory. And, yeah, can't talk about it. And it's a drag. Yeah, and you charge a little bit more based on that because you don't get any PR value out of any of the stuff. And I hate, I kind of, I do them because sometimes they they do make it to the point where I can talk about it, and that's really great. But I also, I like talking about the stuff, and I like sharing the stuff. Yeah. It's, you know, it's my work, and I'm proud of it. And it always hurts a little bit when it's completely hidden. Yeah, because you're like, if it turned out bad, I wouldn't show it anyways. I don't know what you're... <laughs> right. <laughs> you should want me to. Right. No, you know, and there are some things where I'm like, oh, man, this is such a big thing. This would be so great to show. I'm glad. I'm still glad that I get to work on it, obviously. But yeah, those those are a little bit. I have to kind of bite down a little bit on those. 
Well, speaking of technology and future, you're, you're now also working for NASA of some sort, right? <laughs> yeah, I've done a few projects for JPL, for Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena. Uh, I did a poster for their solar uh, solar system travel poster series. I did Jupiter. And, and you got a free trip to Jupiter for, is, is that was the, the trade, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, that will have already happened. I'm okay. sorry. Once again, I've said too much. <laughs> um, yes, I did that, and uh, I've become really friendly with their team. And they have this amazing design team at JPL that's run by Dan Goods and David Delgado called the studio at JPL. And Dan sort of stamped this out of the ground by sheer force of will and imagination. He created his own position there and created this amazing studio where they do installation art and poster series and art pieces all around this amazing trove of data that JPL has. And so when they did the series of the solar, uh, solar system posters, they asked me to help out. And they got to do a poster for the Auroras for the Northern Lights of Jupiter, where you can take trips in giant mylar balloons. And that led to being part of a campaign based on a, a John Muir quote. What is it? I think we, we go to the mountains because they're there. Or, or um, uh, we see the mountains and we must go. And so they adapted that into we see the stars and we must go. Oh, sure. Initially, I was supposed to do a mission patch for them, which I've done a few recently for non-space-related things. But then I was like, oh, great, I get to do a mission patch for JPL. And it sort of morphed a little bit because... As per usual, they asked me to do a lettering thing, and so I came up with a secret alien alphabet instead. Because I thought, you're dealing with an audience of scientists. If anybody is going to immediately decode an alien alphabet, it's going to be the JPL guys. Yeah. Or the JPL people. And they're like, this is great. It might be a step too far. But then they made it the cover of the pack that the patch came in. And true to form, the JPL people immediately decoded it, reconstructed the rest of the alien alphabet based on what I'd set up for the letters that were used in the statement. And they loved it. They totally geeked out on it. It was great. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, Stefan, where, where do people go to get a poster, the Jupiter posters? Like, like where, where, where do they go to find those? Because I know they were selling them for a while. I don't know if they still are. Oh, the Jupiter posters are free. And, oh. have, and have always been. So you just go to the JPL website or just Google JPL Jupiter poster because that is your tax money at work. So those everything that JPL does is public domain. So but it's a download. Download the, the Yes. History. I didn't know if they actually printed them up. or. There are companies that print the posters. And if you want to be one of those companies, that is you are well within your rights to do so. Anybody can download that artwork, print them, sell them, do whatever they like with them. It's okay. sort of a crazy setup. And just make sure to talk to to talk to you to make sure that the specs are right. Because if you see if you see a poster printed poorly, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna hear from Stefan. Oh yeah, yeah. No, there's there's gonna be hell to pay. All right. In in the book letterheads.xyz. Letterheads.xyz. Stefan, it's been fantastic having you in, and we hope this, we hope hopefully it won't be another decade. I hope so too. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Beery is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dustlab. Find out more at myspace.com slash dustlab.